you guys can be seated. Thanks, heaps. Well, I, I can hardly wait to hear what I've got to say now after that intro. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> uh, um, sorry, for those on Zoom, sorry, I'm a walker arounder. So um, I'm going to try and stay here. But I like to see people's eyes when I talk to them. I like to see your face. Um, oh, you're bringing a seat for me to sit on. <laughs> no. Uh, thanks, mate. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll bring greetings from Sydney. Um, you know, and uh, this is, uh, I think, my fourth or fifth time here, Veronica and myself. Um, I have preached here before. Um, and uh, so when Dave asked me, I was like, yeah, I'm super excited to come. We love coming here. We love your congregation. Uh, I, I really just want to say from Sydney, thanks for looking after Dave and Joe. Sorry. I'm a bit, of a bit of a crier, so sorry about that. But, um, no, these guys are champions. We didn't send you our crap. <laughs> we sent you good people, you know. People that were doing stuff at our church have had roles that were important. And they came here. And uh, it's, it's bigger than what we could do. And these guys have come. And, and uh, we just want to thank you guys for loving them and treating them right. And they've got a real passion for you guys. Um, they, whenever I talk to Dave, he always talks about... Uh, he mentions names and talks about some of you, some I know, there's a few faces I remember, but um, so they're very passionate about you guys and doing something amazing in Canberra, so partner with them and go on a journey with them, That'd be, you know, and we want to champion you for that. Um, uh, just a couple of things about myself, if you haven't uh, seen me before, uh, one, I cry when I preach, so that's okay, but uh, yeah, like Dave said, we have four boys, uh, our oldest is 26, he's married, and uh, he is uh, one of the youth leaders. Uh, and he's married to one of our main singers at church too. And uh, we have another one called Sean. He is, uh, I didn't say oldest, eldest one's name's Connor. Sean is uh, 24, about to be turned 24. And uh, he's one of the youth leaders as well. And our third one's Cody. He's one of the youth leaders and he sings and plays drums and all that. So he's always involved in the music team. And uh, he's 20. And uh, our youngest one is Ryan. He's 15. Uh, and he is a very uh, talented musician. Uh, and uh, he's an uh, up-and-coming leader in the youth group. Um, and so they're all very heavily involved. We've never made them do that. We've just sort of set the example. And um, we've been at uh, Imaginations Church, or for the, the church there, uh, for 35 years, Veronica and myself. So um, there are people that have been there longer than us, uh, but I think that makes us veterans there. Um, and, uh, yeah, born and raised in Penrith as well. And we live in the Blue Mountains now. And uh, been married for 29 years, just a couple of weeks ago, yeah, which is good, and uh, 30 years next year, and um, yeah, um, should I say anything else, babe? Have I forgotten anything? Yep, and uh, um, we are the pastoral care department in Sydney, uh, so I've done, I'm, I've been on staff for 15 years there, uh, part-time, and uh, for 12 years I've done pastoral care, so, um, which uh, is a heavy job for us. Um, it means that we try and love our, our, our congregation and people in our congregation and uh, we've, we usually get to sit with, each, uh, with people in their most difficult times, um, and, uh, which is a great privilege for us as well. Uh, and uh, I'm also an electrician. I have my own business as an electrician, which I've done that for 22 years. Uh, and our third son's my apprentice, which is good and bad. Um, it makes things uh, better in some ways, but more difficult in other ways too. Uh, and I also teach in our school. We have a Penrith Christian School as part of our church. We have 800 students there, uh, about 750 at the moment. 
and uh, I teach uh, electro vet. So it's like a, to be an electrician. So I teach that as well. Uh, and uh, I actually just uh, stopped teaching it this year, but I have filled in uh, seven times or something, seven or eight times this year. But I, I gave it up last year because I didn't need three jobs. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's me. Um, if you want to know more, you can ask me later. Um, cool. Well, can we just start with some prayer? Yeah. Lord Jesus, we um, lovers and believers of you. We thank you for your power and your authority over all things, Lord God. And Lord, as I attempt to bring your words today, Lord God, as I read from your words to the Bible, Lord God, I just ask that you would anoint those words, that you would speak to people, Lord God. And I ask that everyone here would leave different in some way today from hearing your voice and hearing your words, Lord Jesus. We love you today, Lord, in your name. Amen. Well, um, yeah, obviously our theme for the year is fearless and having a courage culture. I love this because, you know, we live in a world that would discourage us in every way and want us to live in fear. We just go from one fear to the next. If you just watch the news every day, you'd, you'd almost not want to go on, would you? And, and I think God's calling us to be different. Uh, yes, we live in the world. We live in a world that's full of fear, but we don't have to be full of fear because we walk with the Lord, yeah? And that doesn't mean that as we walk with the Lord, we don't get scared at times, and that fear does come in. The enemy loves that. But as we stand with the Lord, we can stand strong, uh, fearless. We can have courage to take on the world, yeah? And I have a word today that, um, well, you know, we're passionate about lots of things at, at Imaginations Church. Missions, obviously, you heard the report today. Great report. Thanks, Doug, for that, too. And, uh, you know, we, yeah, we're passionate about missions, but really we're passionate about things that revolve around missions. We're passionate about people hearing the gospel. We're passionate about discipleship, people being discipled. We're passionate about Jesus coming into someone's life and changing it completely. Yeah? We are passionate about it. They're all sort of connected, but they're all sort of slightly different too. Um, God really challenged me, and the word I'm going to share today, I hope it isn't too challenging for you. It was just a challenge to myself, and I thought that you might get challenged as well. But I honestly want to say that I do want people to walk with the Lord, and I do want people to be changed. And then that's obviously in pastoral care, that's what I would ultimately want. I wouldn't want people to hear my words, but I'd want God to speak to them and change them, yeah? What if God changed someone in my life that I didn't like? It makes me sad to say that. But there are people in my life that have given me grief. There are people in my life that have hated me. There are people in my life that make my life tough. What if God saved them? What if God started to change their life? How would I respond? I'd hope that I could respond in a godly way. This challenges me. Because there are people in my life that at work or in different situations, in different parts of my family, that have given me a hard time for being walking with the Lord. And how would I respond if they decided they were going to walk with the Lord too? I'm going to look at a passage today and I think that it gives us a good example of how we should respond and I'd hope that I could respond similar. I want to go for a walk through Acts 9. We're going to read a fair bit, if that's okay. I like reading out of the Bible. Have we got Bible believers here? Amen. Yeah, all right. Acts 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. 
He went to the high priest and he asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is what they called the Christians then, or followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Wow. Now, just thinking, that's radically saved, isn't it? That's radically changed. His life is physically changed because he's blind now. He says he doesn't eat or drink. He doesn't know what to do. Is that not like someone that would be uh, sending out murderous threats towards Christians or the followers? If you radically got saved, do you think of people in your life that you would think, Hey, that is such a huge pipe dream in my life. That person's never, ever going to get saved, right? Think of those people in your life. What if they did? That would be radical, wouldn't it? This is amazing. And this is what's happened here. Total turn- and at the moment, he hasn't even started the journey with the Lord. All that's happened is he's had an encounter with Jesus. And isn't that where it starts? An encounter with Jesus. And I love it. So he's physically blind. Uh, he-, he hears God's voice. And I just want to say, I don't know what it was like when you became a Christian, but I grew up in a Christian home. And uh, I grew up in, in a Baptist church in Penrith, beautiful church. I remember um, memorising verses and all that sort of stuff. I remember um, having all this head knowledge about who Jesus was and the Bible. And, you know, if you memorised a verse this week, you got a chocolate or a lolly. You know, so you, you, there was this uh, religiousness about me, you know, reading the Bible and all that sort of stuff and knowing stuff. I went to church every week. But that's all it was. It was really just religious for me. And uh, I remember you know, asking the Lord into my heart at 12. My wife would, my mum, my wife, my mum would say that I did it when I was younger. But I remember it at 12. I remember it being significant. But once again, it was just in my head. And uh, I guess my heart was stirred. But I didn't sense, the God, I didn't sense Jesus on me. But I remember at 15. I remember at 15. I remember at 15. I could even take you to the place in our church. I could even tell you this is where it was right here. I can, I can show you where it was. That I felt the Holy Spirit. I felt God in my life. I felt the power of God. Changed my life completely. Changed my life. Went from head knowledge into not only heart, but changed it to it being real. And God was real to me that day. The power of God was real. And I just think, Paul or Saul here, he changed his name to Paul, so if I call him Paul, just forgive me for a little bit, but Saul at this stage, <clears throat> he's got all this head knowledge about Jesus. He knows exactly what, he, looked, what he, he did, he knows what he said, he knows what they look like, the people who follow him, he knows all that sort of stuff, but he doesn't know him. And here on this road to Damascus, he's in a, uh, a murderous state, angry state, he wants to, really, he hates these people. Suddenly God turns up. Changes it all completely and turns him around differently. Wow. I think that's amazing. And we should believe those things. That's what a courageous and a fearless person does. It believes that the people in my life, that there's no way God would ever touch them. We've got to start believing that he would and that he could because he can. And that's what this, this passage shows us. But if I just stop there, 
You know, if that's where the story ends, we've got a blind guy in a room who's not eating. That's where it could end. And we don't even read the story. We don't even know about it. And I wonder how many people that happens to. That God turns up and does something miraculous in their life and they're actually really, really seeking him. They want to know, where do I go now? What do I do now? And it could stop there. Thank goodness this story doesn't. And it gives us a good example of what. So if we keep reading the story, I love this. Um, It says, um, all right. In Damascus, there was a a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. And it it says his name, Ananias. But he's a disciple, disciple of Jesus, yeah? He's one of the followers. All right. He says, yes, Lord, he answered. I'm guessing this is not the first time that God spoke to him. He knows God's voice. I don't know, but I want to be a disciple that hears God's voice. Why? Because God's going to tell me stuff. If people, if, if, if I'm going to be fearless and courageous, I need to be someone that's open to hearing what God wants me to do. I need to be open and honest and hear, say, God, I, I want to do what you want to do. And it says, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Well, I think if you're blind, then you just you know, you probably are praying, going, oh, I don't know what's going on here. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Um, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. I like this. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. He's calling him to be a missionary, yeah? Hallelujah. I will show him how much he will have to suffer for my name. Wow. I don't know if that's great. But here we go. Then Ananias went to the house and entered in, placing his hands on Saul. I love this. He says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food, he regained his strength. I love this, right? Because we almost, like we know Ananias' name, obviously that's great. But almost we brush past this part of the story. And we know that Saul, ends up being Paul, writes a lot of the New Testament, right? Because he's a huge missionary evangelist. Starts churches all over the place. So we know that, but we can look at that in hindsight. This is the start of the story. At the moment, he's just some guy that's killing people, or arresting people, sending them away. And I've got to just give Ananias some real credit because he's a better man than me. I know that Ananias has a bit of an argument conversation with God. It doesn't really say it that way, but you can sort of imagine, going, what are you talking about? That can't, that can't be from God. Really? What? That doesn't even make sense. Who's had those conversations with God? I know I have. God, that doesn't even make sense. Why would I do that? That, that just seems silly. That can't be God. I'll just wait till someone else says it to me again. Or, you know what I mean? And we start doing those things. And, and maybe Ananias did have that conversation. I don't know. It took three days for him to get there. So maybe he had a little bit of time thinking, hang on, no, it doesn't make sense. Here, let me just talk to my leader. I don't know. I don't know what he did. But we sort of, in, in the story here, it sort of it makes it that he sort of does it willingly. But I'm wondering whether Ananias knew some people that Paul had taken away. He'd arrested he knows all about it. What's happening in Jerusalem? So probably he did. Could this not be someone like we have in our life that gives us grief, brings fear into our life, brings concern into our life and worry?
And I just love Ananias that he goes there. And the bit I love about it is, it says, uh, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. I wonder whether he actually thought, oh, I could probably strangle this bloke. Look, he's blind. Help a whole lot of people's grief. <laughs> yeah, I could just do it. But maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe it's just me in my, in my weird thoughts. But, but you know, but you have to think deep inside. There's that's a whole lot of fear going on again. Oh, because um, he might have gone there and maybe he didn't hear from God properly. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm, just, I'm not trying to read more into the story, but I'm just thinking sometimes we brush past stuff without looking at the whole story and the whole picture. And this really speaks to me. And I love how he says, Brother Saul. Wow. Invites him into the family. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. I know for me when I tell you that my life changed at 15, what they actually said was, um, if anyone wants to actually... um, Received the Holy Spirit today, you know, and I was a Baptist, obviously, and I used to come to our church sometimes because I knew some people there too. And uh, I thought, you know, okay, all right, I'm going to go and see if this is real. That's what I remember thinking to myself. And, um, in fact, it was actually me and my mate who we grew up in the same church, and I said, oh, do you want to go out? And he goes, nah. And I said, yeah, me neither, me neither. And then he just goes, come on, and then we both went out, all right? Now... You know, I didn't speak in tongues and I uh, didn't fall over and all that sort of stuff. But what I did do is I, I felt God's power on me like never before. Never before. And I never looked back. Yeah, never looked back. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And that's what happens when, and I love it, it says, um, the Holy Spirit, uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And that's how I kind of felt. The world of God opened up to me. Um, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. That's great. Can we keep reading the story? All right. Because Ananias, that's the last we hear about him. It says, um, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So he hasn't been there real long. Maybe a week he's been in Damascus. And it says, At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name. And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Wow. So I just love that he's talking to the synagogue, he's talking to the Jews. But what did Ananias say then? That God is calling him to be his instrument to the Gentiles. I mean, to go to the world. I just love that. But he started where what things he knew. Which a new convert kind of does that, don't they? They kind of just don't know a whole lot. And so sometimes they just think, oh, well, I'll stick with what I know. And I just wonder that sometimes you can almost get lost in your old life. I'm just sort of thinking it through. But when someone suddenly gets changed by Jesus in some way, uh, they don't really know how to be discipled, how to be looked after. So let's go back to kind of what they know. I just found that interesting. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, uh, and day, by, day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. I love it. He's only been there a, few, oh, a week or so, and he's got followers. Wow. He must have actually been really uh, impacting. Yeah? 
I think when you start telling people what Jesus has done in your life, isn't that where it starts? And that's what he's preaching to everyone. And now he's got followers because it says, some of his, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. He's doing discipleship and he doesn't even know what discipleship is, I don't think. Cool. When he came to Jerusalem, so now he's gone from Damascus, he's escaped Jerusalem. Uh, if you have a look on the map, Jerusalem and Damascus aren't real close to each other. It's a long way. Yeah, and, and they're not really sure how long it took him to get there. I, I looked it up a little bit. Some said it could have taken a year. Some took, said three years for him to actually travel all the way to Jerusalem, right? But so it's, and it's just one verse next to it. I realise it's a different paragraph, but it says, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Wow. Fearful. Fearful. They were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And I wonder if that's how I would respond to When someone who has been how he has been, and I'm thinking in my own life, maybe I wouldn't really believe it. Are you doing it for some other reason? Are you trying to get something? Are you tricking me? Do you want to make it harder again in a different way? It's a different new strategy to get in, get in whatever. And so, because uh, I didn't really believe that he was a, a real disciple. I like this, but Barnabas took him, and Barnabas is the real champion here, and Barnabas is one of the guys in the Bible that I try and model my life off. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord uh, and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. How did Barnabas know that? I guess he could sort of, he probably saw Saul preaching and thought, man, this is the real deal. I can sense the Holy Spirit on this guy. I, I don't know. But, and it says that he, uh, he brought them to the apostles. Well, if you actually read the whole story in Galatians where Paul's actually telling the story, um, it's, it's actually his perspective of what happens here. I, I, it's a whole other sermon in itself. But he talks about even being blind and all that sort of stuff. He talks about Ananias coming. He even talks about Barnabas. But it says that he actually, uh, the disciples wouldn't see him because they're too scared, fear, fearful. And it says that he actually gets, meets, meets Caiaphas, who's Peter or Simon. And Jesus' brother, James. That's who he gets to meet. That's the apostles, but it's only really Peter. That's all he meets. Only one, because he actually is saying, I only met one of them, but here in this, uh, this story. Okay, so he, he, Barnabas grabs him and says, you know, I'm going to vouch for you. Come on, mate. Let's go. Isn't that what we do with a new convert? Say, if you're willing, I'll disciple you. Um, you know, one of the guys that spoke last week uh, at our church, um, Nathan uh, Varlow is his name. He's Mitch's brother. And uh, um, he was in a connect group with me when he was 12 years old. And now uh, he's almost 40. And, uh, and I was uh, early 20s. And uh, he reminded me of a, a story because he, when he preached last week, um, he talked about walking away from God uh, when he was a late teenager. And uh, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me telling this story. I didn't ask him, but it's okay, because I just thought of it now. But um, he went away for a little bit, and then he came back uh, for Mitch's 21st birthday party, and I'm seeing him there, and I hadn't seen him for a year and a half or whatever, and I didn't know even where he was, and he was living in the city. And uh, he actually just says, oh, my life's a little bit of a mess, actually. Um, and then I just started saying, oh, we should get a coffee this week, which is the story that he told in the sermon last week, that all I asked him was, hey, we should grab a coffee, and we have a chat, and I actually just asked him some hard things. And saying, man, you were going to be this great guy. You had this huge potential in your life and you're not living anywhere near there, you know. God's calling you to be a world changer and at the moment you're not a world changer, you know. And so that, but 
I remember the following week, which is another, it's what I was reminded when he was telling that story from his perspective. Um, he came in and he said, oh, I'm actually going to move back home and I'm going to, you'll see me at church a bit. And I said, that's great, mate. Awesome. And then he said, um, I've had a whole pile of people ask me to come on to Connect Group. Do you do a Connect Group? And I said, yeah, I do. But I wasn't going to ask you to come to my Connect Group. And he goes, oh, okay. Where should I go then? And I said, Nathan, I really think that you've got some big things in your life. And uh, you can come along to my Connect Group if you want. But I'd love to disciple you. And that's a bigger ask. It's a bigger ask. If you're willing and you're open, I want to try and get you to where you want to get in God and I want to disciple you. And that's completely different. And he said, that's what I want. And I've discipled him ever since then, years later, you know, and uh, we had an encounter weekend not long ago and he was the main spiritual guy for the whole encounter and did a great job. And God's just really using him. But I just think sometimes it takes a place of us saying, come on, mate, I will cover you. I will walk along, but it's going to be tough. And having a willingness from the other person to say, please take me under your wing. And, and so we see that Barnabas does this. says, um, yeah, where did I read it to? Uh, how he preached fearlessly, talking about fearless, in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, but they tried to kill him. So this is twice people have tried to kill him. Maybe he's got a few discipleship issues in his life because it's not great if you're trying to, um, you know, uh, evangelise people that they turn and they want to kill you, okay? Um, happens, but yeah, he's twice now. A whole lot of people have tried to kill him. And it says, uh, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus, uh, he, he talked and debated. Oh, they tried to kill him. That's where I was. Okay, when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. I find this a really sad part of the story. He's still a new convert, still trying to work out what it means to walk with the Lord. Yes, yes, he's got a whole lot of head knowledge about being religious. But if you fully understand that verse there, when the believers learned of this, about them trying to kill him, they took him down to the Caesarea, which is the port. It's on the ocean. They, sent, they took him down to the port and they sent him off to Tarsus, which was the quickest way to send him home. They sent him home. Sorry, we don't want you here. You're causing too much trouble for us. Thank you. It's great that God's doing stuff for you, but you can go home now. Oh. I wonder how Barnabas felt about it. It doesn't say that he said anything about it, but this is the guy that he, just, he vouched for. And in a little while, it's not very long, they've sent him home. I just I find it a real intriguing part of the story. Because I said before, Tarsus is nowhere near where Jerusalem is. But the quickest way there was by boat. And so it took him a, a year or maybe three years, I'm not sure, to get to Jerusalem because he didn't go there by boat. He actually went there by road. That's how it took so long. But send him back, the fastest way home. And I, I thought about that myself. How many times have I done that maybe over the years of being in leadership? Just thought, you know what, you're too hard. This is a too hard basket for me, I'm sorry. You can't come to a youth group anymore. You're going to have to be at home. Sorry, I said this is a hard word. It's a hard word for me. Yeah, okay. But in this next bit was interesting. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in its numbers. Just forgot about him. Wow. 
It stirs me. I, I started to think about the people that I've forgotten about over the years who once came along and they said that, yes, I want to do this. And there was some hard stuff and, and we tried to work through the hard stuff. I was going to grab another tissue. Thanks, babe. Sorry. Normally in Sydney they put tissues next to where I'm preaching. But I'm going to close with this next bit. And I don't know if I'm on time or not, but if I'm not, sorry about that. Okay. Um, if we read two, verse, two chapters later, because it kind of ends that way in Acts 9, and, uh, but two chapters later, it says, uh, I won't come up on the screen, sorry, I didn't give you this passage, I'm sorry about that. Um, in, in verse 19 of, of uh, chapter 11, it says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered um, during the persecution of Stephen's death travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles, which is where Paul was called, right? Yeah. About the Lord Jesus, the power of the Lord was with them and a large number of the Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church of Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Cool. Here's Barnabas again. He's a good man. He's the everyone man. He does lots of things. When he arrived and he saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. And then, verse 25, I love this, then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. And both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Beautiful. I know that sort of seems two, two chapters later, but it's actually 10 years later. 10 years. One of the, the correspondents I looked up said 13 years. And 10 years later, Saul's still been in Tarsus. Maybe forgotten. What I don't know. Obviously, he's still loving the Lord, but he kind of just gave up on what God had told him all those times ago, and he just stays around where he lives. Just goes back and just be part of the church there. But God's called him to be something a world changer. That he'll be his instrument. God's instruments are sitting in a church. Wow, that really blows me away. But I just love Barnabas. Ten years later, hadn't forgotten about the disciple that they sent home that time. Hadn't forgotten about him. So when he goes somewhere near him and Antioch's not that far from Tarsus, he thought, I need to go and find him. He needs to come and see. And we're going to do great things. And we realise that a whole lot of that from there on is Barnabas and Saul go to this place. It says that they stayed there for a year, but they go here. And then, not too many chapters later, it turns, turns into uh, Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas, somewhere along the line, hands the leadership over. To Saul. It says, I'll be your second. Amazing. I will support you. I will encourage you. I'll be here. And you know, you can keep reading the story. I just love that. That a disciple er needs to some stage realize that the disciple can run on themselves. Yeah, and this is all part of discipleship. Walk in the journey. I don't know. I, this really stirs this my word today stirs me, and I hope it stirred you. That Maybe there's some people in your life that you've forgotten about that at one time were walking with the Lord and you were part of that decision. 
Maybe you need to give him a call and ask him for a coffee. Have a chat. Maybe you need to seek the Lord about that. I don't know. Maybe God's calling you to, to think about people that are in your life. Because sometimes it, you know, it's interesting. The conversations that we, we have in our head sometimes talk us out of having the conversations we should have with people. Yeah? And uh, let me just pray this word over you today, if that's okay. I hope that stirred you a little bit. And I hope it's made you think a little bit. Lord Jesus, we, we honour you. We thank you for your power. We thank you that you change lives. And I just ask, Lord God, as we take on the world uh, this week and, and ongoing, Lord God, that we would be reminded that we can be fearless in you and we can be courageous, Lord God. I ask that you give us the words to say to people that would stir their hearts for change. I just ask, Lord Jesus, that we would see people come to walk with you. Help us see our role in that, Lord God, and help us take people under our wing that have been shunned away from people. Let us be different people, Lord God, this week. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.